0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: Consider a very common circumstance, and that is when someone is experiencing a great deal of failure or loss in their life. You can consider any situation. For example, someone may lose their job, they may lose a spouse, they may lose their children, they may they may experience failure in terms of a business venture, they may experience an unexpected situation where something is taken from them, or they lose something or something just breaks, it doesn't matter what it really is, but a situation will definitely come across everyone's life when we finally experience a significant amount of loss or suffering in our personal life experience. And when this happens, many people will turn to clergy, they will turn to a pastor or priest or minister, someone that they would look to as a person who can provide them with guidance or insight or understanding in order to help clarify the situation that they are faced with. And so that they can better understand what is going on, what is taking place in their life. And in doing so, they may be able to also receive some helpful counsel or understanding instruction that would guide them in a way that they would be able to experience healing in their life, where they might be able to experience some peace in their life, if they're definitely experiencing a great tribulation. And so when people go to folks such as these, people who are esteemed as having a great knowledge of the Word of God and people who are recognized as people of God, then what might they say in response to a situation such as this? Well, a very common response, a very popular response to someone who is experiencing a great deal of suffering in their life is to open up the scriptures to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 3. Because in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, there is the description of God's involvement in our life that could explain why we are experiencing some suffering in our life. Beginning in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, it says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. This passage is normally referred to in this kind of a scenario, or a minister or a pastor will respond to someone who is experiencing a great deal of suffering in their life by saying that it could be because your God is disciplining you. Your God may have intervened in your life, and He may have decided, He may have chosen to discipline you, scourge you, in effect punish you for some sin in your life. And this is his way of addressing this issue, this sin that may be in your life to try and get your attention and let you know that if you do not stop sinning, then he is going to continually invade your life and disrupt it and cause you to experience suffering and loss until you decide to stop committing this sin. This is a very common response. A very popular response, it is normally done behind closed doors in a personal way, but in a public way from the pulpit. This is often mentioned almost like an afterthought or a side note that perhaps you are experiencing suffering because you have some sin in your life. And so what this means is, is that if you want to be free from the suffering and loss, if you want to experience some victory, some peace in your life, if you want to experience some prosperity, some blessings in your life, then the solution has to do with you identifying the sin that is in your life, and you are to resist that sin, you are to stop committing that sin, and if you do that, then the Lord will no longer interfere with your opportunities to be able to experience a pleasant and peaceful life here on earth. This is what people teach. Now, I do not believe this, and I'll explain why in just a moment. But it's important for me to first describe to you what is popularly believed at this time in our culture, what many people do teach others, and what many people do believe who are taught this very notion, this interpretation of this passage in the scriptures. There are many people who do live their daily lives thinking that their God is trying to find ways to intervene and ensure that they do not experience blessings in their life or prosperity or any peace in their life because of some sin that is in their life, and they believe that that defines their relationship with their God. What that means is is that there are many people who sincerely believe that their God is there in their life for the purpose of interfering, invading, intervening within their life experience to ensure that they are properly punished and experience suffering for the sin that they have in their heart. That's what people believe. That's what they're taught, and many people do sincerely believe that, that that defines their relationship with their God. And again, this is taught from the pulpit, too. It's not normally said as directly as I have just said it. It is very unusual to hear someone to say it that directly. Normally, it is said very indirectly. And you will know the difference, because if you wait a day or two after you hear a message such as that, Then if this is your impression of your relationship with your God, then you have just received that message from the person whom you heard speaking previously, and they were very effective in communicating that message that I've just directly told you. Now, there are several things that I have mentioned that are definitely not true when describing this interpretation of this passage in the scriptures. One thing that is definitely not true is that your God holds your sins against you. We know that that is not true because he already died for all of our sins on the cross. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting our sins against us. This was described in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Beginning in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18, it says... Christ Jesus came into this world not counting our sins against us, knowing full well that he was going to die in order to provide for the forgiveness of those sins. When he died for your sins, he died for all of your sins, past, present, and future. And by the way, when he died on the cross 2,000 years ago, I would venture to say all of your sins were in the future. You had not committed any of them yet unless, of course, you are 2,000 years or older, approximately. If you lived before or during the time of Christ Jesus, then you probably have some sins from the past that needed to be forgiven when he forgave them on the cross. You could consider that. But I would venture to say it is unlikely that anyone is listening to this broadcast who is that old. So given that, please understand that when he died for your sins, he died for them a long time ago. That was an issue that he resolved himself a long time ago without even asking you. That is what enables you to be saved. He forgave you of all of your sins so that he can restore to you the spirit of life that had been lost in Adam and the life that you then receive will no longer depart from within you because there is no sin that would cause that to leave because there is no sin left unforgiven that would cause the life of God to depart from within you for the wages of sin is death. And so the life that you have is now an eternal life, because Christ Jesus died for all of your sins. Your salvation is being made alive. Salvation is the restoration of life. It is the forgiveness of sin that makes salvation possible, but it certainly is not salvation. Salvation is the restoration of the Holy Spirit to re humanity, to re within you so that you can become alive as you were intended to be alive when God created humanity to begin with. The other thing that is conveyed in the description that I just gave of the interpretation of Hebrews chapter 12 verses 3 through 6 is that what is being communicated is that the Lord your God is punishing you because there is sin in your life and if you want to experience healing from the suffering you are experiencing or if you want to experience peace in your heart or in your life, if you want to be set free from the sufferings, you are experiencing, then you need to identify what this sin is and you need to stop committing this sin. That's the other thing that is definitely in error in this interpretation of Hebrews chapter twelve, three through 6. Consider this for a moment. How are you going to stop committing this sin? It doesn't matter what it is. Just think about that for a moment. What is being communicated is that someone is telling you, that you need to find out what these sins are in your life, and you need to stop committing these sins. Well, if anyone looks at their life, they can definitely find sin in their life. You can definitely find some sin in your life. It doesn't matter what it is, but believe it or not, many pastors will ask you, well, what is the sin? What is the big sin that you're really struggling with? I think the Lord is trying to work with you on this, and I think that He's trying to punish you, into inspiring you to stop committing this sin, and so just what is it? And a lot of people may be able to answer quickly and say, oh, certainly, I know what these big sins are in my life. Others may need a little help, and that is generally what pastors think their role is in the counseling situations that I described. Many of them sincerely believe that their role in a person's life is to help them find out what sins they are committing, and so they can work with them, to inspire them and encourage them and help them find solutions to stop committing that sin. They believe that, that is their role. I do not believe that that is my role as a pastor at all, but many pastors do sincerely believe that that is their purpose in the lives of the people that they have the opportunity to interact with. That's what many people believe. And so when this happens, they sit down and they try to identify what these sins might be. Now, as I just said, it doesn't take a lot of work to try to figure out what sins a person might be committing, because we are all still struggling with sin. If you as an individual tell me that you have no problem with sin, in the sense that you do not commit sin anymore, that you don't have any sin in your life, then my response to you is what the Apostle John said when he wrote in his first letter, he said that if you claim to be without sin, then you are a liar and the truth is not in you. And you are quite likely not saved if you will acknowledge that you have sin then he is faithful and just to have already forgiven those sins of course and to have cleansed you from all unrighteousness but if you will not even acknowledge that then there's no way that you can even be saved i believe that's what he was describing in first john chapter one and you would definitely fit in that category if you claim to be without sin that certainly would be absurd For us to say that we do not have sin in our life is to claim that we are like Jesus. Jesus was a person who lived here on earth and lived a perfect life in complete obedience to the very law of God, totally and fully, without exception. And the reason why he was able to do that was because he was God manifested in the flesh. Our God, the creator of the universe, who does not sin, Manifested in the flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us to experience a life here with us and to communicate very directly with us the importance of knowing who he is and understanding the differences between the Old and the New Covenant and other things that he definitely communicated to us. And so if you were to say that you have no sin, then you would be saying that you are just as righteous as Christ Jesus on the basis of your ability to not commit any sin in your life, which means that you are God. That's what you would be saying. Everyone has sin in their life if they are here in this world on earth. Now, it certainly is not held against us because Christ Jesus died for all of our sins, and that, of course, is an important issue. But when looking at this subject from the perspective of how are you going to get all of the sin out of your life, you will never get all of the sin out of your life. You might feel confident that you avoid one or two sins, or you might be able to step aside from three or four sins, but not all of them. There will always be something. And so if that's the case, if that is the truth, then the natural conclusion to come to in light of that truth is that your God will continually and perpetually be intervening in your life because of the sin that you have, except for those few moments when he might be willing to give you a little bit of a breather in preparation for the next pounding that you are about to get because of the sins that you are committing. Your God will definitely be intervening in your life causing suffering, causing pain, causing loss. He will be punishing you for your sins in order to try to inspire you to stop sinning. That's what people are teaching. This, Make no mistake, this is what people are teaching others in Christianity today. They are teaching. People are teaching that the purpose of God in our life is to follow us around and make sure that he intervenes in our life in order to inspire us to stop sinning by hurting us, by causing us suffering and loss. And that is how we grow in our relationship with our God. That is how we mature in our faith, by putting out the sin in our life. Because if we don't do it, then our God is going to punish us and hurt us until we do. And that's how people live. That's how people believe Their God wants them to live. And that's how people try to grow in their relationship with Christ Jesus. And so what does that mean? That means that instead of God sending them to hell for their sins, that means that God is going to follow them around for the rest of their life, making them as miserable as possible because of their sins until they finally stop sinning. That's what people believe. They believe that their relationship with God is about a God who has set them free from going to hell, but now is now devoted to making them as miserable as possible because of the sin that they still deal with in their personal life. This is a complete and total denial and rejection of the crucifixion of the Messiah, who died for all of our sins in order to take our sins away so that our God no longer sees them. They are behind his back effectively, and he no longer relates to us on the basis of our sin. So what does this verse mean? What does this verse mean in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6? For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. What does that mean then? Well, the meaning of this is best understood by understanding the definition of the word discipline. In most cases, and especially in what I've just been describing, people assume that the word discipline means punishment for a past event. That's how people understand the word discipline in general. They look at that word and they say, this is something that someone is going to do to someone else to punish them for what they just did. And in the example that I've been giving, God is punishing you for the sin that you have committed and he will continue to punish you until you stop committing that sin. It is punishment for a past event and it will cease as soon as you stop doing that which you shouldn't be doing. That's how people interpret this because of their perception of this word discipline. But that's not what this word means. It does not mean that at all. It is not punishment for a past event. This word is a specific word that means preparation for a future event, which means that the Lord your God is intervening in your life for the purpose of preparing you for what is going to occur in the future. Now, I'm not saying that to say that your God is now causing suffering and loss in your life so that he can prepare you for something. That's not what I mean. What I mean is is that the way that he guides us and leads us is for the purpose of trying to prepare us for the works that he has for us to do. Now he doesn't need to take things away from us. He doesn't need to intervene in our life and make sure we experience suffering and loss. That's not what he does. The word is used to describe the preparation for a competition or a sporting event. It has to do with training and discipleship. It has to do with growing in your knowledge and understanding of the grace of God. That's what this word means. That's how it is used. It has to do with knowing more about who your God is and understanding more of what you have received from Him. And what you receive from Him is what you then begin to apply in your daily life, Regardless of the struggles that you have, regardless of the failures you're experiencing, regardless of the loss, regardless of any of that, this is completely separate. It is completely independent of anything that you may be experiencing in this world. It has to do with you growing in your knowledge and understanding of the love of God, of the acceptance of God, of what you have received in your inheritance from Him, and you applying what He has given to you. That's what this word implies. And as you grow in your knowledge and understanding of the grace of God and what he has given to you and the value of the inheritance that you have as you apply it in your daily life experiences, in that way you will be more prepared, continually prepared, continually growing and maturing to be able to deal with and respond to the circumstances that you will be faced with In your life, continually, as you continue to live your life here on this earth. That's what this word means. It has nothing to do with punishment for a past event or punishment for your sin. It has nothing to do with that at all. It has to do with preparing you for the circumstances of life that you are going to be faced with. And so what does that mean? What does that mean? How does he prepare us? How does he discipline us? How does he disciple us in order to perform the works that he has for us? Well, this, of course, is a very individual question because he deals with each one of us in an individual way. And so I can truly only respond with conviction with regards to how he has prepared and disciplined and discipled myself, me, to prepare me for the events and for the circumstances of life that I have been faced with. I can tell you about several of them, but for the sake of time, I can only generalize and describe to you in general how he has disciplined me or how he has prepared me in a greater effective way than just punishing me for sin. Instead, what he has done is he has reached out to me and provided me with everything that I personally and individually need. Let me give you an example. I have a very deep need to be loved. And I have a very deep need to be accepted, and I have a need to be wanted, and I have a need to have understanding of the world that I am a part of, and I have a very deep need to have purpose in my life, and I have a very deep need to be respected as a person and as an individual. These are needs that I have. My God meets these needs. He created me in such a way that I could only have these needs met by Him personally and individually. No one else can ever meet these needs. There is nothing in this world that will fulfill the very deepest needs that I have in my heart. Only my Lord Jesus, only my God, the creator of the universe, will meet these needs. And he does that. One of the ways that he does this is by my acknowledging and understanding and believing that he does not hold my sins against me. If he does not hold my sins against me, then I know that I am fully accepted by my God. I know that he accepts me and that he does not look at me in the midst of my sinfulness. He does not even consider any of the sins that I commit. That is not an issue between he and I. He accepts me completely and fully because of what he has done for me, certainly not because of what I have done for him, but because of what he has done for me already. And I trust in that. I rest in that. I believe that. And that sets me free from trying to obtain acceptance in this world. And so regardless of what circumstance I am faced with, regardless of what temptation may come across my path, if I will only trust in the acceptance that I have received, I will not give in to those temptations out of a desire to be accepted. I will not give in to those circumstances in life trying to obtain the acceptance from someone else. I will not make choices and decisions trying to obtain acceptance from someone else, where I may consider being dishonest or I may consider being deceptive or I may even commit sin in order to try and be accepted by someone else. This is a discipline. This is a preparation so that when I am confronted with those circumstances in my life, I can engage those circumstances not for the purpose of trying to obtain fulfillment in my own heart, acceptance in my own being, not for the purpose of trying to obtain that, because I can enter into those circumstances with the acceptance that I have, but instead I can now engage the world, engage and confront the circumstances that I am faced with, with the acceptance that I already have, so that I am set free To give myself to those situations, to look for opportunities to be of service in those situations, to look for opportunities to be available in those opportunities, so that the Lord my God can work within and through me because I am free from being preoccupied with myself, but I can remain attentive to what he may say, what he may do how he may guide me in those circumstances so that he can respond to those situations within and through me as an opportunity to manifest himself, the invisible God, visibly within his creation. And that moment of reflecting the very image of God is the moment that I long for where I can be a witness and a testimony of the living God who is very alive and functional in the world that I am a part of. And that is the context of Hebrews chapter 12, following Hebrews chapter 11, to be a witness of the living God in the face of life circumstances, especially in the face of sin, which is what this is referring to. This passage is in context of striving against the sin of others being perpetrated on you, not striving against other sins that are temptations in your life. But Christ Jesus strived against the sins that were perpetrated on him, just as the People beforehand described in Hebrews chapter 11 strived against the sins that were being perpetrated on them as an opportunity to reflect the very character and image of our God to testify of who he truly is. Again, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, it says, "...for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself." so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. He's talking about sins being perpetrated against you, not about sins that you may be committing against others. That's the proper context of this, and your response to the sins that are being perpetrated against you are best handled when you are resting and trusting in your relationship that your God has already established with you. In the context of acceptance, when someone is sinning against you, you certainly have a great opportunity to feel as though they are not accepting of you. You can respond to that with the acceptance that you have received from your God. And so in light of their rejection, you can continue to be and function in peace because you are resting in what your God has already given to you because of what He has already done for you, not because of what you think you might do or what you are not doing for Him. This is what you have in Christ Jesus right now.
0: You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.